You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we'll be discussing stolen kids. Hello, hello, and welcome back. I'm so happy to have you guys here. Um, We are counting down to Christmas over at our house. We have advent calendars up the wazoo because my kids just love them. We've got chocolate ones. We've got coloring ones. We've got chalkboard ones. We have like a felt one and like service-oriented ones, so... I guess one could say we're a bit obsessed with advent calendars. (laughs) I mean, they're fun, but I, I, even I can admit that like, that's a little bit too many advent calendars. Um, but they do help my six-year-old daughter with her math. So it's a win-win, I suppose. Um, I know that you guys are probably sick of hearing this, so I'm going to try to make it brief, but it is important. If you are not already following me on Instagram at mystery still unsolved, please join us over there consider it your Christmas gift to me. I would very much appreciate it and it's absolutely free. Yep, it's free to follow me on Instagram and you can go right on ahead and cross me off your Christmas list if you do that. Um, So if you are already following, comment and say hi. I always love to hear from you. I also wanted to thank all of you for following and listening. So I am running a Christmas giveaway. So if you like my latest post dated, uh, (laughs) what will the date be when this episode airs? Let me check my calendar. Oh, December 15th. So if you comment on it, um, just saying hello or letting me know what your favorite thing about the podcast is, or maybe like the fa- your favorite episode that I've covered so far, anything like that, you will be entered to win a $25 gift card to Amazon, help you get some of those last minute Christmas gifts or stocking stuffers on their way. I will announce the winner on Friday night. So this Friday night. So when you're listening to it three days from then. Um, so make sure that you like the post and comment your favorite episode or just say hi by Friday at noon Mountain Standard Time. I'm excited to do this for you guys just so that I can show my appreciation to all of you guys coming and listening every single week. You guys are amazing. And can you believe that we are already covering the final episode of season two Unsolved Mysteries Netflix edition? I feel like we've been covering these cases forever. It's sad to be saying goodbye to it, um, as I recently read that there are actually no plans to make a season three. Rather, they may be releasing a podcast version instead in early 2021. It's hard to say if this is a temporary situation due to the COVID-19 outbreak or if this is going to be their format long term. Um, That's not known to me at this time, but... um, a podcast possibly in early 2021 is in the rumor mill. So I will keep you guys updated as I learn more information. I am looking forward, however, to having some more freedom and flexibility in the cases that I cover in the future with this podcast. Um, I have a very interesting case that is timely. It happened around Christmas time um, 
back in 1985 in the works. It's coming up next week. So I hope that you guys will come back next week to discuss it with me. It's really, it's really wacky, like crazy. All right. So now it's time for the heavy stuff. It's like Unsolved Mysteries saved the worst for last, in my personal opinion anyways, because it's an episode about children. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that I hate doing episodes about children. I just feel like you have to be the lowest of the low to harm a child. And that's like, not only am I a mom, but I was also a preschool teacher before all of this COVID crap happened. So I clearly have a soft spot in my heart for children and I love them. Um, I know that way back when I swore that I'd never do a child episode ever again, I think it was after the Lindbergh case, but Unsolved Mysteries made this episode. So I guess I'm going to have to swallow my tears and cover it because that's what I promised that I would do for you guys. I don't like it. In fact, I hate it, but their stories deserve to be told and discussed at length here on the podcast. And so that is kind of like my frame of mind as I'm facing this. The episode we will be discussing today is, in a word, heart-wrenching. I am not going to be able to demonstrate and detail the sorrow and heartache of these mothers that are involved in these two devastating disappearances. Um, So basically what happened is in May and August of 1989, two young children were kidnapped from their neighborhood park in New York City, in Harlem specifically. In both instances, the person watching them claims that they were there one second and vanished the next. Neither children were ever seen again. Not alive, not dead. Just never seen again. Despite the efforts of the entire NYPD working diligently to bring them back home. Now, while it does make sense that the boys would never be found again alive, it doesn't make sense how their bodies would never be found even after all these years, 31 to be exact. If you are are at all um, familiar with New York City, you know that there are not many places that you could put a body and have it never be found. I mean, that's like unheard of. So is it possible that these two boys are still alive? Okay, I'll stop procrastinating. Let's just dive in and talk about the case at hand. This is the case of the stolen kids. As the episode starts, we hear from the mother of one of our victims. She says, as the mother of a missing child, some days you just don't want to go on. It can be really hard. There are many times I would go to a place with heaviness, just going through the motions. It's not a good feeling, you know, the longing, the wondering, the want to know. You want answers, but you don't have any. I wouldn't ever wish this on anybody, ever, ever, ever. When she says this, you truly feel the sadness, grief, and sorrow in her voice. It is truly the most devastating and real, I mean, from what I can assume, depiction of how a mother of a missing child would feel. Um, This episode 
hit me so hard. I cried so much through this episode. And all the times as I'm recounting back, all the times that I did cry, it was when the mothers were talking about the torture and agony that they have endured over these many, many years. I think, I don't know because I've never gone through anything quite as painful as this, but I think the not knowing must be the part that tortures your heart and your soul the most. But I, again, I really don't know and I can't even begin to comprehend the suffering that these particular mothers or anyone who has a missing child face day after day after day. Um, I'm sure that it's a nightmare that they wish that they could wake up from. It's unimaginable. It's really unimaginable. Uh, Mary Murphy, a reporter, says that Harlem in the 1980s was a really bad time. And I get kind of annoyed when they do this in episodes because, like, I think everybody knows that New York City was really bad in the 1980s. But nevertheless, Mary Murphy lets us know yet again that the 80s in New York City were terrible. Um, There was a lot of crime, drugs, addicts. Apparently, people were running around naked in the street, high out of their minds. And this was just another day in New York City in 1989. Ken Lindahl, retired private investigator and detective, said in 1989, New York was a very violent place. But he says that there were also a lot of working people who were just trying to survive. And that there were a lot of people that were just uh, striving to do their best and just do what they could for their families. Many residents describe the area as a very close-knit community. Everyone looked out for one another because they knew about all the craziness that was going on right outside their doors. So they tried to um, develop a community that would be safe. Allison Dansbury, the mother of our first victim named Christopher, or Choo Choo, and I'll kind of use those names interchangeably throughout the episode, um, was living in Martin Luther King Towers at the time, which what I can assume is a project. Sometimes it's referred to as an apartment complex, and then other times, um, specifically by police officers, it's it's called a project. Um, So I'll probably use those interchangeably as well, just depending on who's talking. Um, So I guess that Allison's sister and mother also lived in this same apartment complex. They didn't live in the same apartment, like apartment, but they lived in the complex. So this apartment complex is huge. So there's 10 buildings comprised and like 14 floors in each building. So um, Allison didn't even live in the same building as her siblings, but they all lived within this Martin Luther King Towers community or project. Allison says it takes a village to raise a family, and that is exactly what it was like for her. She was 26 and had two sons. She was single. Um, LaVon was five, and Christopher was two. Carolyn Manley, who is um, Allison's sister, says to this day she still refers to Christopher as Choo Choo. She, she says Choo Choo loved her sister, his mother. Um, He loved to cuddle. He was talking a little bit. He loved to be outside. So it was a normal occurrence for them to, you know, all go to the park together and get their children's wiggles out so that they would have a nice uh, sleep that night. 
On Thursday, May 18, 1989, Allison and Choo Choo went to the park with her sister and her children and her mother, which would be Choo Choo's grandma. They went down the slide. They were having an amazing time, just enjoying the warm weather and being out together. Carolyn said that the park was very crowded that day because it was such a hot day for May and, you know, everybody wanted to be there. Allison asked her mother if she would be willing to watch uh, LaVon and Choo Choo so that she could run to the store to get some popsicles for the kids. That's what they always did. They went to the playground and then one of the, either uh, Carolyn or Allison or their grandma would walk over to the corner store, get a treat, and then that's kind of how they would coax them off the playground to have them come back inside. So she went over to Choo Choo and she said, I'm going to be right back. Choo Choo said, I love you, mommy. And 30 minutes later, Allison returned with the treats. She saw her mother and looked around for Choo Choo and she couldn't see him, which I mean, if you've ever taken a kid to the playground, you know that sometimes they, they all like hide underneath a slide or they'll just be like in one of those tunnels. So I don't think that she was immediately scared. Um, but as she began to walk around and check all those typical hiding places, she could not find Choo Choo. And it was clear that Choo Choo was not there. So she ran over to her sister and her her mom and they split up to find him, all the cousins and all the aunts. Allison said that after she didn't find him in those usual spots, she was very anxious and she just had this pit in her stomach that something was very much not right. Carolyn said it was overwhelming. It was a shock because one minute he had been there and the next minute he was just gone. No sign. The NYPD was called. They rushed to the scene. Detective Ken Lindahl says that the NYPD takes these matters very, very seriously. It's an all-hands-in situation. Everybody knows how critical these first few minutes, these first few hours are in the returning of children to their families. The first step, he says, is always an initial canvas. They try to find witnesses who might have seen something unusual, like maybe seeing a kid crying or seeing a kid wandering on the sidewalk by himself. Then they go door to door um, in the apartment buildings and they look for anything suspicious like blood or signs of a struggle. Um, They also offer um, residents a reward for any information that they might be willing to give up. Um, And like I said earlier, 10 buildings, 14 floors, you do the math, that is a lot of groundwork. And that's assuming that he is even in these towers. He obviously might not be there. And then there's even more ground to cover. And you'll see why in a few minutes, but I do not think that Christopher ever returned to Martin Luther King Towers after being abducted. But I do think it's awesome to know that the NYPD was doing a very thorough investigation of the immediate area. New York City is so huge. So when a child goes missing, there are seriously endless possibilities of where that child could be. I seriously would not even know where to start. How could you possibly search in a timely fashion all of those places that he could be? To me, it's overwhelming and it seems impossible. And that's why I'm happy that the NYPD has been trained to do that because I don't know where I'd start. Police officers looked through apartments to see 
Um, like I said, if they saw any sign of a struggle, any kid crying, um, but none was found. Ken Lindahl said it's difficult in New York City because there are so many people in such a small area, um, but you do what needs to be done. Carolyn says the cops were all around them, and before she knew it, there was a helicopter canvassing the area, and that just made it so, so real. Ken Lindahl said the search area was about 24 blocks. They searched the park. Um, they even searched a nearby lake just to see if possibly he might have stumbled into the lake and drowned, but um, they sent out in divers and nothing was found. They told Allison um, to go and get some clothing that Choo Choo had been wearing recently so that they could have the dogs smell them and see if their um, dogs could pick up a scent. So the dogs sniffed... Um, the clothing and they actually did pick up a scent and they followed the dogs on this um basically the search led south on Lennox to 110th street and then the dog lost the scent and this is when police thought oh no I think he either went into a car or went into a taxi Allison said that after hours, she began to face the reality that Choo Choo might be gone forever. And she could not believe that this was really happening. She thought for sure she would have him back in her arms by now. There was an entrance on Lennox Avenue to the park. Um, apparently there was also a hole in the fence nearby. So someone very easily could have grabbed him and gotten into a car or into a taxi. Allison says that he might have been initially coaxed with something somehow, like maybe candy or, you know, the stereotypical like promises of a puppy or something, but he was definitely not going to be willingly taken because she said that he would never just take somebody's hand and walk away with them. She knows that he was crying. And Allison says the kidnapper probably just kept on walking and no one would have probably even thought twice about a kid crying leaving the playground. I mean, my kids cry every time we leave the playground because, you know, they don't want to leave. So in my mind, I'm like wondering if I would pick up on that. If I saw a man or a woman taking a crying child out of the playground, would my mind automatically go to, I wonder if this kid's being kidnapped or would it be like, oh, I guess somebody doesn't want to go home. So that made me like check myself and be like, I think I need to be more aware of my surroundings and just make sure the next time I see a crying kid leaving a playground, like I don't even know how I would like make sure, but just be a little bit more aware of it. Allison says it's hard for her um, even these many years later because they are actually conducting one of the interviews in the episode at the very park her son was kidnapped from 31 years ago, which... For dramatic effect, I'm sure that that's really interesting for the shot, but I also think it's a little bit mean to do to her, but that's just my two cents. Anyways, Ken Lindahl says they had to figure out the motive behind taking Christopher. Stranger kidnappings are actually quite rare. They're not impossible, obviously. They still happen, but they're just really rare, like more rare than a person might think. More often than not, a child is taken by somebody that they know, like maybe a family member or a friend or a neighbor, an acquaintance, somebody that like lived in their building or whatever. 
Lindahl says sometimes there is family drama, custody issues, and kids are used as innocent pawns to get back at people. They had to figure out if this was the case with baby Christopher. Could it be a custody issue between Allison and Chuchu's father? Allison says that Chuchu's father was living in Florida at the time, but he did agree to drive up, fly up, not sure, and do an interview with the police. And he ended up having an excellent alibi and was found to be innocent of all charges. Um, Allison had been addicted to um, drugs at the time, so the cops had to decipher if perhaps it was a drug dealer who was owed money that was using Choo Choo as leverage or as a way to send a message to some uh, to Allison somehow. And Allison says that she was an addict at the time. She's she's not going to deny that because it was part of her past, but she loved her children and she would have never done anything to hurt them. She has since found sobriety and I'm very proud of her. All right. Three months later, August 10th, 1989, Rosa Glover says that she did not know that a little boy had been taken from the park three months earlier. She says that had she known about that kidnapping, she would not have taken her son, Shane, who was 19 months old at the time there. She said that we would have gone to another park. Rosa thought she could never have kids. Um, she was actually 36 at the time that she had her son, Shane, and um, she referred to him as her special boy just because she just never thought that that was going to be in the cards for her. So he was kind of like a miracle surprise baby. Rosa says a typical day for her was working five days a week, but on her days off, she loved taking her son to the store to get a snack and then take him to the park. And that's what she decided to do on this very hot evening on August 10th. As soon as they got to the park, two children, um, came up to them and asked if they could play with Shane. One girl was about 10 and another boy was around six. At first, Rosa kind of blew them off, but they were persistent. They kept insisting that they wanted to play with him. And so eventually she caved. She watched them play at the slide and then a man um, sat ne down next to her on the bench and began talking to her. She turned her head for a second to chat with him, and then when she looked back at the slide, Shane was gone. Rosa approached the kids as they walked back about three minutes later and asked, What did you uh, do with my son? They said, We left him in the park. She began hollering and screaming, and people started helping her search for him, but he wasn't at the park. And... I do not know how many times I've had this conversation with my daughter. I always tell Rylan, like, you just cannot trust people because not only are there bad guys, there's bad ladies, there's bad kids, quote unquote, that can be used as decoys for the bad guys or the bad ladies. Um, yeah, it's just, we live in a weird world, guys. So I definitely think that this is possible. In fact, I think that the guy who was, um, oh my gosh, he used to host a show. I think it was like America's Most Wanted or something. Um, and his son was actually abducted from a department store. Um, and a kid was used as a decoy. So it happens all the time. Um, 
Lindahl said there was a considerable worry from the NYPD and the local government, you know, like what is going on here. Both children were taken at the same park. Both children were taken at a similar time of the day. Um, Apparently, both of the kidnappings had occurred on a Thursday and when the park was yet again super, super crowded. Um, so once again, when Shane disappeared, um, the bells were sounded, there were massive interviews, they were canvassing all the surrounding buildings, they were looking in dumpsters, garbage, garbage chutes, alleys, elevator shafts, no shine, sign, I can't talk, (laughs) no signs of Shane. They checked locker rooms everywhere, anywhere that they thought a little kid might either stumble on his own or be placed, Um, they even got a tip that Shane had been buried in an abandoned building. So they searched every inch of this building. They got a permit, um, to tear it up and dig underneath it. They literally took the building to the ground and they came up dry. There was no Shane. The NYPD was willing to do it though, because they wanted to know what the heck is going on here. Rosa says that this was the first and only time that she had ever let her son play with another child that she didn't know. Rosa thinks that the two children were decoys for the person who actually stole Shane, but the children insisted that they played with him until Shane wanted to go to another side of the park and then they let him go and they did their own thing. The man who spoke to Rosa, the one that sat next to her on the park bench, was also interviewed and cleared, um, as well as the two parents of the children, because apparently they weren't the children and the guy on the bench were not related. The NYPD offered $30,000 for any information that led to finding either Shane or Chuchu. They began a task force. There was this huge van that would go through neighborhoods with a bullhorn making an announcement for a call for information. That is when Allison, the mother of the first victim, heard about Shane's disappearance, and she does not believe that it was a coincidence. Rosa said, oh, sorry, not Rosa. Allison said that she cannot help but um, empathize with Rosa because they were experiencing literally like the same thing, same place, same time, same crime. Rosa says that she cannot help but blame herself for what happened, especially since she was there and she was being an active, involved mom. And then she breaks down and it breaks my heart. Like I said, Allison says that she didn't know Rosa, but she feels her pain and she says, um, quote, I empathize with her. She was a mother who loved her son. She just took her son to the park to let him play. They came back. They came back and they took another kid. Lindahl says, worst case scenario, they've got a pedophile or a serial killer in the neighborhood. It's terrible to consider that someone would want to harm a child that young, but he admits that it does happen. Um, Our reporter Mary is back and she says, after Shane went missing, it seemed like the NYPD certainly escalated things. When children that young go missing... She says, we find them. It's highly unusual not to find babies that go missing. And that's when we really started to hear talk of a baby selling ring. So apparently it was the conjecture of the neighborhood and community that their children were being kidnapped and sold 
on the black market. Lindahl says that the possibility that there was a ring of people stealing black infants and selling them was explored, and while it was an interesting theory, he says that it's not likely. After a lot of research, there was nothing to indicate that this was going on. Rosa says two cops came over every day and tapped the phones. There was a cop that would sit there at her house 24-7 to see if anyone was going to call and ask for a ransom, but no one ever did. So that apparently was not the motive for kidnapping baby Shane. Lindahl says it's terribly frustrating. They have no leads to go on even to this day. They don't have bodies and they still have two missing kids. Mary the reporter and Ken Lindahl think maybe they could have survived and that they might have been taken by people who couldn't have children and possibly stole these children to raise them as their own out of sheer desperation. Lindahl says maybe these people, for whatever reason, didn't have the ability or resources to adopt a child in the traditional sense, and so they decided that they would abduct a child to raise it as their own. Robert Lowry, vice president of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, says that the chances of finding these boys alive and well is slim, but they never give up on these children because in his long career, they have seen so many miracles. For instance, on August 4th, 1987, Carlina was only 19 days old and she was taken to the hospital because she had a fever of 104 degrees. Apparently when the parents took the baby to the hospital, there was a woman dressed as a nurse who was comforting the parents and apparently like shifts were changing and this nurse smuggled the baby out of the hospital. There was a massive manhunt for Carlina, but she had vanished. 23 years later, in January 2011, Carlina was found alive and well in Georgia. It turns out Carlina White had grown up believing her name was Nettie Nance. She grew up and got pregnant, and in order to get medical insurance, she needed to provide her birth certificate. So she went downtown with what she believed was a valid birth certificate, but was told, this is a forgery. This is not your birth certificate. Nettie started researching and saw a picture on the Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website. The picture she saw strongly resembled her new infant daughter, and in her heart, she just knew that it was her. As a result, NYPD arranged for a DNA sample, and it was confirmed that she was in fact missing Carlina White. Anne Petway, the woman, the woman who raised Nettie, was arrested for the kidnapping 23 years after she did it. It turns out Anne had wanted to have children, but was unable to have them after a series of miscarriages. She was so distraught over that, and that was basically the motivation in kidnapping Carlina. Carlina was reunited with her biological parents, and they are now very close. Rosa and Allison saw this story and it ignited hope into their hearts again. Allison says, if it could happen to her, then maybe it could happen to us too. I can see where they're coming from. The kidnappings of the two boys occurred in 1989 and Carlina was kidnapped in 1987. That's only a two-year difference. If someone had seen or heard of that story, it might have given them an idea. Plus, all three instances happened in Harlem. 
The Center of Missing and Exploited Children have forensic artists who create age-progressed images to assist people in identifying these missing children as they age. Colin McNally says that they have conducted over 7,000 age progressions since their conception in 1990 and that they have experienced some success. He also says, unfortunately, um, a lot of these children are growing up before their eyes on their computer screens. Allison says that Choo Choo has a figure eight birthmark on his right leg and a burn scar on his left thigh. And Rosa says Shane has a birthmark on his shoulder and a scar on his chin from where he once fell down. These are indicators that cannot be covered up. They can't be hidden. So these are really important markers if we're trying to find them now, if somebody's listening to this and they've always kind of wondered like, why don't I look like the people in my family? If they have any of these indicators, then they should contact the NYPD and do a DNA, um, a DNA test stat, (laughs) I would say. Rosa appreciates the Center for Missing and Exploited Children because they send her the age-progressed pictures and um, every Christmas, and seeing him grow up in some sense gives her a little bit of comfort because she hangs up the pictures in her home so that she can be surrounded by her son. She says that she will never give up hope. Rosa feels he's somewhere out there. He just has to find her. Uh, or she needs to find him. She hopes that he comes to find her one day and she would hug him and kiss him and say, let's go on a vacation. Let's get away so that we can be with each other and spend time together. Um, and through tears, she says that, you know, she wishes and prays that that happens one day because she has missed a lot of years. Allison says um, she moved away from Martin Luther King Towers, but her mom still lives there, so sometimes she has to go. Um, But she does not remember that place fondly for obvious reasons. Um, She says that she has grandchildren from her oldest son, LaVon, and she says that it breaks her heart that her grandchildren have never met their uncle. She says she must trust in God that one day she and Choo Choo will be reunited. She says it's hard to know that um, she has a child and that she didn't have the opportunity to watch him grow up. And um, she says, I've missed 30 years of his life and it's devastating. The interviewer asks Allison if Christopher, if Choo Choo is out there and he could hear you right now, what would you tell him? And through sobs, Allison responds, We never stopped looking for you, Christopher. We never stopped. We never stopped loving you. We never stopped searching for you. And we are just hoping and praying that you are okay wherever you are at. Lindahl says that he's never going to give up looking for them. He's never going to give up hope. He says you see it all the time. Kids question where they come from. Maybe they'll take a DNA test like Ancestry or 23andMe and they'll get lucky. He says he hopes for hope that they can one day reunite these parents to their children. And that's the episode. If you recognize Christopher or Shane, I will go ahead and post their um, age-progressed photographs on the Instagram page um, at Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, you can email hotline at ncmec.org or go to unsolved.com, of course. This, um, this case hits me very hard because it's honestly 
one of my biggest fears. And I think that if you're a parent, I think it's your biggest fear. And you don't even have to be a parent. If you're an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a, sis, a cousin, a sister, or just some, like somebody who loves children, then it's one of your biggest fears, a child being taken. I know that there are a lot of people who think I know that there's a lot of people in my neighborhood who think that I'm a helicopter mom because I don't let my kids like play around in the neighborhood. I don't like them to be out of my sight for one minute. Um, But it's because of instances that I hear like this that have me so terrified because in both instances, the boys were seen one second and completely vanished the next and they have yet to be seen again. This story, this story also uh, hits me pretty close to home um, because my brother, uh, my younger brother, uh, was kidnapped um, on his way to school. And I don't even know if I should say kidnapped. I guess he was still a child. He was a little bit older. I think he was like 12 or 13 at the time. It was his first year of high school. So what, how old are you when that happens? I think you're like 13 or 14, right? So my brother was um, abducted, I would say, um, by a family friend um, who my parents had hired to carpool him to school. Um, Luckily, he was found hours later alive and unharmed, but he was taken from my hometown in Syracuse, New York, and he was found later that same evening at the New York-Pennsylvania border. So even though it has been... I think like 14 or 15 years, I can still remember being called, being taken out of class and being called down to the counselor's office and being told um, that my parents were on their way to come and pick me up because the police were searching for my brother and that he had been missing for hours. And when I think about it, I still get that terrible feeling in the pit of my throat and the pit of my stomach, just remembering those long hours of not knowing where he was or wondering all the possibilities like could he be hurt could he be being abused right now could he be dead we just we didn't know for almost a whole day and I still get choked up when I think about all the possibilities that might have been had we not been able to find him safe and alive that day Um, Fortunately, my brother was returned to our family and he was unharmed, but I realized that not all families are that lucky. Many experience years or decades of not knowing. Some discover that their loved ones have been killed or harmed by their abductor or sold into human trafficking. Some parents pass away never knowing what happened to their children. After watching this episode, I decided to do a little bit of research to see what else I could find regarding this case that perhaps was not discussed in the Netflix episode. In my research, I found many reports that two children were also seen playing with Choo Choo the day that he disappeared. Um, Although Carolyn, who, as we know, is Allison's sister, uh, she could not positively identify that the two children who were last seen playing with Shane were the same two children that had last been seen playing with uh, Choo Choo. So um, I think she was like, 
they look familiar, but I can't say with a hundred percent confidence that this is the two children. So is it possible that either these two children or a different set of children were used as decoys as the abductor made their move? We really just don't know, but it's interesting that they didn't mention that in the episode that there were two children around the same ages playing with Choo Choo shortly before he disappeared. I also learned um, about another black baby boy who was not mentioned in this episode who was also abducted in 1989 and this is one month old Andre Bryant. Apparently about a week before his disappearance Andre's mom um, had been befriended by two unidentified to this day women and they had invited Andre's mom on a shopping trip and they were really insistent and insisted that she bring one-month-old Andre with her on the shopping trip. And soon after, Andre's mother was found murdered, um, and Andre has been missing ever since. Now, police officers think that this case is too dissimilar from the others, and therefore they couldn't possibly be related. And maybe that's true. Uh, For starters, Andre was taken from Brooklyn, But Brooklyn and Harlem are not that far away from each other. I mean, if they had said Andre was abducted in upstate New York, then maybe I think you would have a case. But Harlem and Brooklyn, still New York City. It's in the boroughs. Anyways, also the mother was murdered in Andre's disappearance, but not in any of the others. So, but isn't it possible, however, that the women kidnapping babies learned their lesson the first time around and realized that it might just be a little easier to kidnap kids on a busy, warm day at the park because it would certainly draw less attention to them? With this case happening so close in succession to the other two abductions. All right. Okay. So let me break it down. Andre is kidnapped in March. Two months later, Chris is kidnapped. Two months after that, Shane is kidnapped. It's so closely spaced, and in each instant, they're like perfectly two months apart. I just don't think that we can write off them not being connected this quickly. If there are other variables as to why they don't think this is connected, um, they're not sharing, so maybe the police know something that they're not sharing with us and it makes more sense. But to me, it just doesn't really make that much sense as of right now. Another thought that I had, which is not supported or mentioned in any articles, but it is something that came into my mind as I was watching the episode and as I was reaching, researching for this episode. um, What if the person who abducted these children was someone who desperately wanted them, but couldn't have them? They did touch on that. Um, Maybe they couldn't adopt in a traditional sense because they either didn't have the resources or they didn't qualify because what if they had a history of substance abuse or maybe they had had their own children taken away for neglect or abuse? What if this person or persons abducted Andre, who was one month old, and they realized newborns are a lot of work. They're also really expensive, especially if you're not breastfeeding. You have to like buy all that formula. Um, and maybe it was possibly more work than they had anticipated. Maybe they got frustrated and baby Andre is harmed either purposefully or accidentally. And then two months later, they go on the hunt for another child. And this is when they find Chris. So Chris was two. So if we're, if we're playing this 
if we're going to go down this route, that this is the same person who kidnapped all three of these children, maybe Andre was too little. So they were like, okay, I'm going to do a complete 180 and I'm going to get somebody a little, a little bit older. And Chris was two and he was apparently very close to his mom and he was also talking. What if after kidnapping Chris, they regretted abducting a child so old because they were not able to develop a bond with him because Chris was talking and he remembered his mom. So they decided that Christopher wasn't going to work for them. Then two months later, they decided to go on the hunt again. And this time they found Shane, who is not a baby baby, so not as much work as a newborn like Andre, but isn't old enough to speak and give them away like baby Christopher. Then after Shane is abducted, the abductions stop in Harlem because maybe they found the baby that works for them. It's also possible that Andre's case is not at all related to the other two. Um, The other two did live in the same complex, so it is entirely possible that a sex offender living in the complex had been watching them for some time or just saw them alone and took it as an opportunity. Um, I do know that Every sex offender that lived within a 24-block radius was interviewed um, and vetted. But what if it was somebody, what if it was a sex offender who lived 25 blocks away or 26 blocks away? They would have not been talked to. Of course, my hope and prayer, obviously, is that all three of these beautiful boys will someday find out their true identity. Um, I hope that they're alive and that they'll be reunited with their families. Throughout the course of the episode, I grew incredibly fond of Rosa and Allison. They are both strong women who have endured more than I ever could. I have hope that they will be reunited in this life with their boys. I hope one day, sometime soon, they can catch up on all the things that they've missed out on over the years. And I have faith that even if they are not reunited in this life, that they will be reunited in the next life. What do you guys make of this case? Do you think the cases of Andre, Christopher, and Shane are related? Do you think it was someone that the families knew, or do you think it was a stranger abduction? What do you make of this baby ring business. Personally, I think if there was truly a baby ring, I feel like there would be a lot more than three babies missing. If it really was such a lucrative business with high demand, there would be way more babies missing. That's just my personal opinion though. I don't think that they would just steal three babies in a six-month span and then stop. Do you think that these young men, Choo Choo, Christopher, and Andre, are alive? Do you think that they'll ever know their true identities? And if they're not alive, then how come we haven't found them yet? All right. This concludes the last episode that I will ever do that involves children. These episodes are seriously so taxing on my psyche. I seriously get sick to my stomach. My stomach gets in knots reading about the atrocities that happen to innocent children. I literally, I literally can't even deal. Although I'm already lying to you because I actually just remembered that I have one child case in the calendar that I'm going to cover next year. 
but there's only one scheduled, so maybe that will be the last one I cover. Oh my gosh, I hope so. Can people just stop kidnapping children so that there are no child cases left to cover? That would be awesome. Thank you. Let me know what you think about this episode by posting on the latest post on Mysteries Still Unsolved on Instagram. I would love to hear your thoughts. Also, don't forget to enter the giveaway on the separate Christmas post on Instagram at Mysteries Still Unsolved. You have until this Friday, December 18th at noon Mountain Standard Time to enter to win a $25 Amazon gift card. Help you out a little bit before Christmas. Good luck with that. Um, And I will probably announce who the winner is going to be. I think I said on Friday night, right? Yeah, Friday night, I will do that. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope to hear your thoughts soon. Have an incredible week. Love you guys. Join me next week when together we'll discover. Did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?